Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. Michael and I will share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, for more information on Michael or myself or forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, your co-hosts, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. Hi, and welcome to the show. Today is Miracle Monday. It's July the 11th, 2016. And their call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions, because that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael. Hello, Michael. Okay, maybe he's having a mute challenge. If you Go to our website, which is www.whyagain.org, All of our tools are on there free. Click the bullseye, which is also start here. I hear Michael now. You do. <laughs> so that will take you and introduce you to the forgiveness process. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart. And, uh, Honored, delighted that everyone's here to join us once again today to uh, talk about Miracle Mondays where the whole focus of the process is that of forgiveness. The Course in Miracles calls forgiveness the single-edged sword. It's the only tool that you cannot use to harm yourself or another if you use it as it's designed to be used. Virtually every other tool the ego can turn backward and make it something that it is not. But this one single-edged sword is what we're here to learn ourselves in every circumstance where there's any form of disturbance or upset and to understand that whole process and engage in the proper use of that tool of forgiveness is our purpose here. The course in its introduction, talks about the idea that a universal theology is impossible. But a universal experience is not only possible, but necessary. And that there are many forms of the Course. There are many ways that people can arrive at a direct experience of what the Course, of what this work is about providing to people. But There's no theology, there's no belief system, there are no words that are going to take us there. So Course in Miracles and this work are working to give you the tools with which you can create a personal experience, personally experienced. So that's the whole idea is to create that experience. And we're here to support you in that. So, again, a personal experience, personally experienced. Not hearing about somebody else's wonderful personal experience and going, oh, well, let's talk about that. Let's let's create words about somebody else's experience. And let's believe in their experience, and then we'll be okay. Not, Not the key. The whole idea of the work is that you utilize the tools to take you back to the direct experience of the truth of who you are. Now, we can talk about that. And when I say the word about, I'm saying in the sense of somewhere around it in the neighborhood, but we can't talk about the thing itself in words. 
so we can talk about the experience, but the words about the experience aren't the experience. The tools can be described in words and therefore can, if used consciously, consistently, persistently, can deliver us to the circumstances in which that experience is experienced. And basically what first century Aramaic forgiveness, and it's precisely identical in the Course in Miracles, does, is it collapses the mind's output. The mind is the home of knowledge. Knowledge talks about something. And when one talks about, again, in the sense of in the neighborhood of, but not the thing itself, then beliefs are formed. And you'll notice that, you know, just take a look out there today, how many people are killing each other over beliefs. Now, you've never heard somebody say, I just had this awesome spiritual experience of the presence of love, and if you don't accept what I say, I'll kill you. You've never heard anybody say that who's had the experience. But those who haven't had the experience, who believe in somebody else's experience, are only too willing. Well, if you don't believe the way I do, you know, the truth is I come to bring you the love of my master, Christ, but if you won't accept it, I'll kill you. And how crazy does that world get? So the world of belief is not the world of experience. And so these tools are about collapsing the output of the mind so that you can have a direct experience of who you are as a human being. Now, again, some words about that. Hold a newborn child. Describe to me the essence of the newborn. Now, whatever words you use, and they're all going to be based in love, from my experience over decades of asking this question of tens of tens of thousands of people, everybody's descriptor about the newborn is that of love, is some word that's a variation on the theme of love. But when you say words about love, you don't have love Again, in the sense of in the neighborhood, you're talking about love, but that's not the experience of love. So those who believe but have not had the experience find it difficult to support the experience, and they're the ones who function with words and beliefs about love and will kill you over it if you don't accept their way of understanding it. So conscious, consistent, persistent application of first century Aramaic forgiveness opens the space for the direct experience that we're speaking of. Actually experiencing, you know, think about that newborn. You know, I'll ask people when we ask that question of them, well, is the newborn loving you? Because, you know, most everybody's out there looking for somebody to love them or looking to love somebody. You've never loved anybody and you're never going to love anybody. Think about it. You're holding the newborn, and you say, awesome love. Is the newborn loving you, or is the newborn love? Vladimir Lenin says if you change the meaning of a culture's words, you can destroy that culture. Why? Because culture is transferred through the use of words. If I use the word love to describe a state of being that each of us are, and somebody turns into into something we do to each other and something I should be doing to pursue it out there, as the kid's song a few decades ago went, looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in too many faces, then by changing the meaning of the words, I've destroyed the possibility of the experience, at least through that particular methodology. So if one persistently and consistently engages in forgiveness, which collapses the perceptual output, the perceptual constructs of the mind, they will come to the point where sooner or later, and you know everybody's different in this regard, they will have this direct bliss and ecstatic presence of love that they experience. That's what all of the theologies are heading for. Someone who's had that experience can only speak about it in secondhand terms to those without the experience. You know, if I say to you, chocolate tastes like, now I can use all the fancy, I can hire the best 
script writers in the world. I can have the most genius minds, and I can read to you all the words about chocolate, but you haven't had a taste bud respond yet. You may be salivating for it, but you haven't had the experience with all the words describing it. So it is doing your work that opens a space for the direct first-hand experience rather than second-hand words from somebody else. And then the mind takes those words. Here's the other challenge is everything that happens in the mind is just a reflection. The direct experience happens. One reflects on it, and the mind starts to talk about it. You know, how many have had a spiritual experience, and it was awesome, and you went excitedly to someone say, to say, oh, I had this spiritual experience, and, and I, uh, it, uh, 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 I don't have any words. I can't talk about it. Now, over time, you taught your mind how to talk about it a little bit. But that's all that happens is reflection in the mind. And people want the reflection to be the real thing, and the reflection is never the real thing. It can be useful. Again, most often it leads to beliefs which divide, and belief is not the real thing. Belief divides truth experienced. The awesome active presence of love experienced unifies, brings people together. So where you hear conflict, where you hear separation, you do not have someone who's had the experience even if they're talking about the experience. Again, the word about there is used in the sense of, you know, it's kind of like over there in the neighborhood, but I can't describe exactly the neighborhood because there are no words to describe. The course is very clear. It says the truth cannot be spoken in words. If one experiences the truth of who they are, then they'll start to talk about it, and their words will be a reflection. We don't want you to get stuck and sunk in the reflection. We want to open the space for you to have the real thing. Now, when one engages in collapsing the perceptual output of the mind through forgiveness, and that's what forgiveness does. Forgiveness removes, you know, there's a great line in The Course of Miracles that says, you need not seek for love. You need only seek, find, and release the barriers you've built within yourself against it. So if we come into an energetic form with a thousand generations of history, genes based in rage and guilt and grief and fear and world war after world war, after insanity, after trauma, after divorce, after separation, after rape, after murder, after pain, the mind fires off and fills awareness with what's stored in the structure. Now, there's some interesting Harvard research that says that in a time frame where there are 10,000 brain cells firing, that is, there are 10,000 measurable units of electrical activity happening in the brain, the max amount of information that goes into conscious awareness is nine bits, a little tiny, tiny, tiny piece. And what forgiveness does is it collapses that. And when that collapses, there's an experience. But for some people, it's kind of like, you know, if you've ever been walking down the street and all of a sudden uh, a bee flies up and hits you in the head, it's like it's there and it's gone. And you go, whoa, whoa, what was that? It can be the same thing when you first collapse the perceptual output of the mind and the experience of being of yourself as that newborn energy that awesome presence of love is tasted it it sometimes is tasted just for a fraction of a second and the the memory bank the body mind unit just responds so quickly with its content that it just fills that nine-bit space again so for many people it's hardly even noticed and it fills the space with information that is dead, information from the past. So by definition, anything that's stored in memory is from the past. There is no future in the past. There's only the replication of the past. The past is dead. 
Yeshua talked about those where the blind led the blind and the dead buried the dead. He was talking about people whose perceptual constructs were made up of energetic dynamics that were from the past. You know, if I were to offer you the definition of a word as a tool of communication, this comes out of our communication, did you hear what I think I said workshop? If I were to offer you the definition of a word as a tool of communication and that using words, tools of communication, indicates that there's an interaction between two, would that be a reasonable definition? So in this case, you and I are in a process of what the world calls communication. I'm using words. You're listening. If you call in, you'll use words and I'll listen. So there's an indication of an interaction between two or more when words are being used, obviously. And then what I'll do is I'll invite you to notice that right now in your mind, there are words running and you're not speaking to anybody else, me or anyone else. If a word is a tool of communication indicative of an interaction between two Who's in there with you? Words are nothing but reflections of past experiences. They're not the experience. But they can, if they're used properly, describe the tools which lead to an experience. Now, as long as perception and You remember we've repeated several times that the CIA is actually teaching A Course in Miracles now. If you go to its website, there's a book there on perception. And they talk about, and they've spent, who knows, untold millions studying perception, trying to get the best, you know, uh, intelligence possible from their analysts. And, And they quote in their book, which you can download free off their CIA official website, government website, I think it's CIA.gov. The book literally says, quote, The mind does not record reality. The mind constructs reality. At every moment, we're creating perceptual constructs. We think we're looking out through our eyes at what's out there. That's not true. We're looking at pictures painted on the inside of our eyeballs that result from the firing of information from the past and create a whole world that we overlay on the world that's out there. The course is about and aims forgiveness that removing and changing the world between our ears that we overlay, the one painted on the inside of our eyeballs. People talk about looking out there. You can't look out there. You've never seen anything through your body's eyes. The Course is really clear about that. All you've ever seen are perceptual constructs painted on the inside of your eyeballs that, by the way, when those constructs happen, you are literally energetically spraying an energy that matches that perception on everybody around you. So perceptions based in hostility or fear spray the energy of hostility or fear on those around you. And, you know, chances are people aren't going to be overly happy when you're spraying them with that energy. Collapse those things and begin to construct your world of perceptions based in love. And now you're spraying love on the people around you. Guess what? That creates miracles because Gee, people like it when you spray love on them. They're not so happy when you're spraying hostility and fear on them. So when we have one of these dead, bearing the dead, blind, leading the blind perceptions, that construct represents something. It's kind of a mishmash from the past, and you feel the effects of whatever's moving in you And when you try to explain to the world why it's the cause of what's moving in you, it ends up in mass confusion and the breakdown of relationships and separation. What forgiveness does is it collapses the perception, allows the underlying data from the past to come forward in the presence of love and removes it so that your constructs closer closer and closer are mirrors of the actual world based in love. That if from day one, as this awesome presence of love, your mind had always been fueled from love and you were to receive through your spiritual faculties your experience of the world as the creator created it. You know, the, the Course says, for those who you know want to say, oh, well, you know, we made the world, it's all our fault. 
think not you made the world. Illusions, yes. Perceptual constructs, yes. And then the Course says, but what is true in heaven and earth is beyond your naming. There is a truth out there. Stop thinking you made what's out there because you did not make what's out there. You made the world painted on the inside of your eyeballs. Look at the lesson, the world of, what is the world? The world is false perception. And we overlay that on our brother. And we think that our brother is that which is moving in us that our pictures are painted out of. So when you correct the mind through forgiveness, what happens when you understand and actually engage in forgiveness, you collapse the constructs of the mind. And each time you do that, you remove another piece of the past that has no life in it. The past pretends to have life. Hostility pretends to be based in life. Fear pretends to, but it has no life. So when you correct the mind and bring it into harmony with truth, then you will have knowledge. And knowledge can be helpful, but it's still not the presence of life that allows you to taste the sweet nectar of yourself as the presence of love. Once again, hold the newborn, you get a taste of that. If you don't remember what it was like, if you haven't had that experience lately, what do you suppose it would be like to actually be the newborn and standing as this space of the sweetest presence of love that you can possibly fathom? When you're locked into the mind, and you'll notice the world is about locking us into our minds and our perceptions, thought then becomes a lens. Thought colors every experience. Thought distorts. So this, this experience doesn't come from a thought process. It's not a mental process. So in order to truly experience your human life, you've got to be out of your mind. So with practice and doing your work, the noise of the mind is stilled and the power and presence of love that you are will well up and fill you completely. But it's what was called the still small voice. It's a subtle energy. The most powerful but still subtle. And if fear or hostility are running the show, there just isn't room for that. The fear and hostility are high-amplitude waves that distort the presence of that still, small voice. The still, small voice is never lost. It's never touched. It never disappears, no matter how much hostility or fear moves in you. But the hostility or fear tends to cover and cause us to lose conscious awareness of ourselves as the presence of love. Experiencing your life as the presence of love alone is the experience of a human life. Everything else is mimicry. I love you is mimicry. It's an attempt to mimic that experience. The truth is, I can't love you. I either function as love or I don't. You can't love me. You either function as love or you don't. It's not something we do to each other. It's what we are. And when we come together in relationship as the active presence of love, then everything shifts. Everything changes. Many people having lost the direct experience of love, but having some kind of shadowy memory attempt to be restored to that by chemically induced sensations or anesthetics with things like drugs and alcohol. Again, it's an attempt to mimic, oh, if I drink enough alcohol, there's no pain moving in me, maybe then I'll experience the presence of love. But what isn't realized by the alcoholic who downs their fifth of scotch is all of the inhibitors in the mind are now knocked out because of the lack of oxygen to the brain. And now behavior gets bizarre and crazy, and more experiences that interfere with the presence of love are likely to be the result. So 
trying to do to either anesthetize through the use of chemicals or drugs or to try to regain that experience. There are drugs that create ecstasy. You know, there's Oxycontin. People say, oh, it's just such an ecstatic experience. Now, if you do a little research, you'll find that Oxycontin-based drugs kill over 100,000 people a year on planet Earth. It's interesting. The FDA just recently approved prescribing Oxycontin to 11-year-olds in America. The drug that is the gateway to heroin use, which incidentally, do a little research, you'll find that American soldiers in Afghanistan are being paid to protect the poppy fields that produce the heroin that Americans are addicted to, that American cities and towns and states are are spending billions of dollars trying to counteract the opiates. Take a look. The troops are protecting the fields in Afghanistan. The Taliban had production down to under 5,000 tons a year in Afghanistan, and it's now up to, as I understand, if I remember the numbers correctly, something like 500,000 tons a year since the war began. We need to start looking at what we're doing to ourselves. So many people are willing to pay a huge amount of money for this cheap, cheap copy of the high, trying to get back to that original ecstasy. All you have to do is cancel the goals that you hold, collapse the perceptual mind based in hostility or fear, and you get the experience, the real thing, for free. And, you know, it's a cheap, 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 cheap copy that gives one an experience of that connected space or that high, and that very thing locks you out of the experience. As Yeshua said, addressing that 2,000 years ago, he said, you can't storm the gates of the kingdom. You can't get back to the kingdom of love. By the way, a certain set of phrases was translated by the Greeks out of the Aramaic as the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't say anything about the kingdom of heaven. What it says is the community of love. You can't storm the gates of the community of love. You take in a drug that creates an artificial chemical experience but the artificial chemical experience is not the experience of the presence of love it's an artificial chemical experience lesson 192 in the course says this and and, and think about this as here we have all these perceptual constructs we've been brought up and browbeaten into accepting you know, the, the brainwash of the culture. And then there's the mind, what was in the ancient Aramaic and in the Course is called the mind of Christ. The mind of the pure presence of love is available to us. The insanities, the suffering, the pain, the trauma, the drama, the false world experiences is totally unnecessary, totally false. Very real when one's in the middle of it, and it, of course, talks about the profound consequences of it, but it's not true. Those things are not known by one who lives in a mind in the real world. And here's where Yeshua says, I'm in this world, but I'm not of it. He stands in the middle of the most traumatic experiences anybody can experience, and he says, you know, Behold, I make all things new. I bring the active presence of love. I bring a different mind to this. I am in this world, but I am not of it. It can't create my experience because I have none of that in my store. So lesson 192 says, forgiveness gently looks upon all things unknown in heaven. Sees them disappear and leaves the world a clean and unmarked slate on which love can now replace the senseless symbols written there before. So recall that in other places in the Course, it talks about we live by symbols. Words are symbols. A body is a symbol of a being. And a name is a word that we use to describe the being twice removed from the truth of the being. So, when carbon-based memory, when this memory bank, these generational patterns come forward to fill the nine-bit mind, it's like writing on the altar. 
You know, the Course talks about leaving your altars free of the things you placed upon them. How do you do that? Shebag in Aramaic is to forgive, is to cancel. Cancel the goals that drive the whole perceptual system. And all of a sudden, perception collapses. And it makes room for the fifth of the spiritual faculties, the five smooth stones of David, which is true perception. So now, the mind of love in you fills the nine-bit space with its own presence and in that you have true perception and you deliver to yourself to your cells and the world around you the active presence of love that opens a space for dissolution of everything that is untrue so when true perception happens when love shows up in the mind when you're in this world but not of it that's what was called that, that higher space, that state of being or the kingdom of heaven. And this particular passage says, you know, this, all this trauma stuff is unknown in heaven. When that pure presence of being, of love, shows up, then all the things unknown in heaven disappear. They simply begin to dissolve. And then there's this clean, unmarked slate and love can now replace the senseless symbols written there before. If we settle for the constructs in the mind out of the past, out of the generations, then we're in deep trouble. So perception collapsed through forgiveness. True perception now has a space to appear. Written from love and not from memories of ages past. So now the altar is written and filled with love's presence, and a different experience occurs. Now we've stepped into the precise experience that the Course is talking about, that is necessary. And all these words can't make that yours. I can say a million words. I can tell you about my experience. We could parade a thousand people who've had the experience and they could all tell you about it and they'd be speaking about it again in the sense of around the edges of the thing, not the very thing itself. But nobody can say any words that make this experience yours. Why do we continuously talk about and promote the idea of doing your work? Your mind gives you knowledge, a reflection of an experience. If it's a reflection of somebody else's experience, you're even further from it. But I'll offer that over the years as I've watched people who've stepped into and had this experience, usually because they haven't done the work of cleaning up the generational patterns in them, it's not very long before the mind starts to spit up its hostility and fear-based garbage again. So when you actually step in and do your work, the mind has knowledge which is useful, but knowledge isn't the experience of who you are. And knowledge remember, is only useful. I mean, we can get people who will come up and they'll give us knowledge about atoms and da 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 and we should drop an atomic bomb and that would save the world. That's garbage knowledge. Knowledge is only useful when it's based in the experience of love and morality. Now, words can help you to reflect on someone else's experience. And insights can be gained by reflecting on someone else's experience. Somebody says, oh, I had this beautiful, wonderful, awesome, every cell in my body was so charged, it was just like this super ecstatic experience. Well, gee, I had that last week, I just went out and had some ecstasy, somebody says. <laughs> well, no, you didn't have that experience. You had a chemically induced cheap substitute, and it felt good. But that isn't the experience. 
So insight can be gained by reflecting on the words that someone shares with you about their experience, but that's not a replacement for doing the work. It is not knowing. It's not the real thing. So lesson 158 in the course says experience cannot be shared directly. So if you have that experience of the pure ecstatic presence of yourself in your form as love, and I say form, not body, because bodies don't exist. There are people who are tricked into talking about a world of bodies. What we have is this energetic form. You can't get somebody else's experience from their words. So experience is the topic of this lesson on 158. What it says is, here is the joining of the world of doubt and shadows made with the intangible. Here is the quiet place within the world made holy by forgiveness and by love. What does that mean? If I bring my insanity forward in the presence of love, you look at step four in the worksheet and having established in step three what your goal is in step four, you focus on and bring as powerfully and as clearly as you can the active presence of love forward. As you bring that forward, then in step five, you transfer the goal, the driver for your perception based in pain or trauma or anything that blocks the presence of ecstatic love. You cancel that goal. Shabag in Aramaic is to cancel The Course says, let go all the things you think you want, your trifling treasure put away, and leave a clean and open space within your mind for Christ to come. The nine-bit mind collapses when you cancel the driver that drives it, and it's your goal. Now you say, but Michael, I just wanted that person to love me, and I'm so enraged that they didn't love me the way I wanted them to. So I'd offer, you're not enraged because they didn't love you the way you wanted them to. You're enraged because there's rage in you. And that's got nothing to do with them. But the goal to be loved, when loaded in your mind, if it triggers rage, needs to be canceled in order to get to the root of the rage to remove it so you can have the direct experience. That's what forgiveness does. Forgiveness is removal. All the words in the world, all the intellectual, mental masturbation you can do is never going to get you to that experience. That's why the Course says, throw away this book, come empty-handed. Actually, I think it really means empty head, is it? Collapse everything based in hostility or fear in you, and you do that by identifying the goals that drive it. The Course calls them your trifling treasures. Put them away. Cancel them. All the things you think you want. In each circumstance where you find yourself in some sort of trauma, cancel the goal that you hold in your mind at that moment. And as you do, your perception will collapse. When your perception will collapse, there will be at least a fraction of a second where you taste the presence of love, even if you don't do it long enough to become conscious of it before the mind spits up something else. Course says, as a result of forgiveness, here's the quiet place within where the world is made holy by forgiveness and by love. Here are all contradictions reconciled. It doesn't matter what your contradictions are. If you bring the actual, what was called the mind of Christ, the mind of love present in you, those energetic patterns simply resolve themselves. You don't figure them out. They simply resolve themselves. One of the the number one, what I call the pseudo solution to non-being mind is if I could just figure this out. You can't figure it out but you can't forgive it. You can look at the goal that drives it. You can cancel the goal, collapse the perception, and then everything that's underneath it is reconciled. And so what this lesson says is, for here the journey ends. Experience, unlearned, untaught, unseen, is merely there. You can't learn the experience. You can't be taught the experience. You can't see the experience of yourself as the awesome active presence of love. 
It is merely there. It is merely who you are. So experience, unlearned, untaught, unseen, is merely there. This is beyond our goal, for it transcends what needs to be accomplished. Our concern is with love's vision. This we can attain. And in the Course's context, love's vision was called the vision of Christ. So substitute that word love, that awesome presence. You know, that, that word in Aramaic means a direct channel to the mind of God. And what is God? God is love, a direct channel to love. So Christ's vision, it's, this lesson goes on to say, this is 159, goes on to say, Christ's vision has one law. It does not look upon a body and mistake it for the Son, the Creator created. It beholds the light beyond the body, an idea beyond what can be touched, a purity undimmed by errors, pitiful mistakes, and fearful thoughts of guilt from dreams of sin. And remember the word sin in Aramaic is an archery term. When I fire the arrow and I miss the bullseye, the scorekeeper in Aramaic would yell, sin, off the mark. So when being stands as love, as the light that it is, it's beyond anything we can conceive of, beyond anything that can be touched. And it is a purity, not only as this lesson says, is it undimmed by errors and pitiful mistakes and fearful thoughts and guilt, but it dissolves the dimming, the mistakes, the fearful thoughts, and the guilt. It sees no separation. And it looks on everyone, every circumstance, all happenings and all events, without the slightest fading of the light it sees. So once again, there's Yeshua saying, I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. I bring my being the presence of love to shine upon a world insane. And by so doing, I open the space, the doorway, which no one can close once it's opened, and the healing begins. So forgiveness can be taught. This can be taught and must be taught by all who would achieve it. It requires but the recognition that the world cannot give anything that can faintly compare with this in value, nor set up a goal that does not merely disappear when this has been perceived. I can remember the first time I had what, for want of a, of a better term, I call an opening experience. And in that state, any question that I just started to think about, I'd get a full visual picture and I'd get this silent auditory answer. And I can remember asking in that state about the ego and and instantly I was shown this little puppy and it had something, a toy or something in its mouth and it's jumping around and hopping around at my feet and like, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. And I can remember so clearly, and that particular experience was about 30 years ago, I can remember so clearly just looking at it and going, I'm going to give this up for that toy you've got in your mouth? Are you kidding me? Now I must admit that that state stayed with me for about a year or so at that point. And then some of those things that, you know, the ego's toys started to have appeal again. And I realized, okay, so this is the next level of my work. The work goes on. So, but once that active presence of love comes up, and, and I can remember so clearly coming out of that experience, and there were so many things that the day before were a concern and disturbance and upset and something to be, you know, in some form of hostility or fear about. And I can remember just looking at it and going, are you kidding me? Why, why would I even take that up? Except that previously I didn't have the experience. And if you'll consistently, persistently do your work of forgiveness, that experience of yourself as the active presence of love will grow. And as it grows, all the things you think you want will disappear. You will see no one any longer as a body. 
you will greet each one as the presence of love that they are, the son of love that they are, acknowledging that he is but one with you in holiness, that is, in his wholeness. If we listen to Einstein, Einstein says, if you think you're separate or separated from the rest of humanity, you're living in an optical delusion. The optical delusions are the perceptions based in hostility or fear. Once you dissolve that, then you will see through eyes that perceive the connectedness and the oneness of you with all of life. And the optical delusions will disappear. And where you bring that mind forward, those energies that you've engaged in that are off the mark, that are up for exposure, will simply be dissolved. And that's called forgiveness. They'll be removed. So this lesson goes on to say, thus are his sins forgiven him, for love's vision has that power to overlook them all. In his forgiveness, are they gone? Unseen by one, they merely disappear because vision, a vision of the holiness, the wholeness, the love that lies beyond them comes to take their place. So you start to fill that space with something totally and completely different. Remember a couple of years ago, and I think there's a, actually in the uh, testimonials, there's a, um, Michael Coughlin sharing his experiences, formerly military, you know, sharing that what he would do for entertainment would go to crack neighborhoods, not to go for crack, but to find people that who would attack him. So he had a good reason to beat them up. And along about the, oh, I guess about the, maybe the fifth week of an intensive at Heartland, Jeannie facilitated a still point session for Michael and Michael didn't talk for four days. He was in that experience. Now, once carbon-based memory kicks back in, the experience can tend to fade. Whenever somebody's in an intensive, for instance, or a workshop, and they have that experience, the first thing I do is suggest they get out their pen and paper and they make note of it, that they ground it, so that at a time in the future when, you know, reality for anyone is what's vibrating in the mind at the moment. And so the world of hostility and fear can seem to fade when that direct experience of love is taken. And the direct experience of love, if one does not continue to do their work, can be overtaken by the hostility or fear in the generational mind. So if you ground that experience in writing, you can always go back and go, oh, yes, I remember. This is the reality. I have a different reality. This one's based in hostility or fear. Which one do I choose to go for? I think I'll continue to do my work. So it, it, this lesson goes on to say it doesn't matter what form these realities, these hostility and fear-based realities of the world took, nor how enormous they appear to be, nor who seem to be hurt by them. They are no more. Once exposed to the presence of love, there's a transmutation of energy. There's a literal. I mean, I can, I can share with you how many hundreds of times I've seen people that have this major, big, huge trauma, drama, pain, upset, disturbance, horrific. And they have that experience. And they can't ever talk about the horrific again because it just isn't there. I mean, they can't even talk about it because they are no more. All effects they seem to have are gone, undone, and never to be done. So when we bring forward that direct experience of the active presence of love, and then you realize that inside of you there is, for want of a better term, a super processor, that in Aramaic was called Ruka de Kutcher, the Course calls it the Holy Spirit, that in Aramaic, by definition, that super processor in you is an, a feminine elemental force that, by definition, undoes the effects of your errors and teaches you the truth. 
So here the Course is referring to exactly what that power does in you. All effects they seem to have are gone. And that means backward and forward. That means the generations who, you know, if it was 10 generations ago, this huge trauma started and it's impacted every generation since. If you take the root of that, and are in the experience of love and bring that root forward in its presence, it dissolves not just for you, but everybody in the bloodline that had that experience. And forward those who would have had it if you hadn't done your work. Thus, do you learn to give as you receive, this lesson goes on and says. And thus Christ's vision looks on you as well. This lesson is not difficult to learn. If you remember in your brother, you but see yourself. If you can start to think every time the fist clenches, the jaw tightens, the breath is held, and you want to scream at that person because look what they're doing to me. If you can stop and take a breath and say, oh, this is about me, isn't it? This clenched fist is about me. Oh, yeah, I need to remember. This tight jaw is about me. Ah, this creature that I look upon is the presence of love, even though I don't see it because of my own projections. This pain is about me. And I have the tool of forgiveness and the conscious, consistent, persistent tool using forgiveness and coming out the other side in the expression of the full-blown presence of love will change your world in ways the world cannot comprehend. If your brother is lost in those energies that are off the mark, then you become lost in them too. If you see the light in him, then those energies have been forgiven by yourself. That is removed. Each brother whom you meet today provides another chance to let Christ's vision shine on you and offer you the peace of love. It matters not when the revelation comes, for that is not of time. Yet time still has one gift to give, in which true knowledge is reflected in a way so accurate its image shares its unseen wholeness. Its likeness shines with eternal love. Today, we practice seeing with the eyes of Christ. And by the holy gifts we give, Christ's vision looks upon ourselves as well. And as you breathe into that, allow yourself to behold yourself through the eyes of the perfect presence of love. Because nothing that has ever happened to you Nothing you have ever seen in the world can disturb that state if you proclaim it as your reality. You do not proclaim it by saying, oh, that's what I want. You proclaim it by removing everything in you that would disturb or interfere with that. The tool for doing that is called forgiveness. And I breathe with you in knowing the truth of who you are. And Jeannie tells me that we've got some hands up. So I know we've only got a few minutes, but let's go for it, Jeannie. We'll we'll kind of uh, keep it short and sweet. We'll ask people to get right to the point. What's on your mind? First caller is 970. You're on the air. 970. Give us a name. Where are you calling from? Oh, it looks like we lost 970. Okay, the next one is 234. You're on the air. 234, I've never heard of that area code. You're on the air. Give us a name. Where are you calling from? Hello, 234. Area code 234, you're on the air live. Okay, it just dropped on its own, so area code 917, you're on the air. Okay, let's go for it, 917. Hi, this is Jacqueline from Merlin. Um I'm hey, young lady, we haven't heard your voice in a while. Welcome. You wasn't in last week. I was in last week. But what I would like to oh, know okay. is this. Over the weekend, um, my daughter was having her experience, 
and um, and I was part of her experience. Uh, she uh, she's kind of rebellious in this moment, so I think. And I found myself the same attack that she was. I felt I was being attacked by her, and so um, the same thing she was giving me, I was giving it back to her. And then I thought over. Oh, I said, "Well, what was this really all about?" Was this about her or was it about me? I know that we are a reflection of one another, and I was like, okay, maybe this really was about me when I um, had, was blowing my breath, you know, huffing and puffing and whatnot. So I was able to identify with what you were saying. So um, would that be a, a true assessment that maybe her experience, I was bringing it to my experience and made it about me, and was it really about me? You understand what I'm well, the, your perceptual construct was about you. Her perceptual okay. construct was about her. What denial would look like would be, Mom, you make me, and Mom's saying, Daughter, you make me. Now, yeah. when both are yeah. in denial, we dissociate <laughs> from what needs to be healed, and forgiveness is forgotten. There's a great uh, quote that comes from Carl Jung. I mean, he just has so many genius quotes, but here's what he says. If there's anything that we wish to change in the child, we should first examine it and see whether or not it is something that could better be changed in ourselves. So I'd suggest mm. digging out the worksheets, looking at the goal you had for your daughter, because in, in the state of having a goal for her to behave a certain way and she's not, probably that would resonate the way you behaved with your mom many, many years ago. Yeah, and you never had any of those kinds of rebellious conflict things with your mom, right? Not as verbal, not like like hers. Um, yeah, yeah, hers my, were worse. Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> and and that's always you know that's pretty classic. You know, we're both sinners, but you know your sins are much worse than mine. I, I bet if we talked to your mom, your mom wouldn't feel that way about it. So so when I recognize that I'm in disturbance, that's my work. And when I cancel the goal I hold for my daughter to behave this way or that, then what happens is I collapse by that perception that I'm creating of her being the problem in my life, and I drop into the part of my mind that is the problem in my life, and by bringing love to that part of my mind, I get to heal. Now, watch what happens if I actually do that in the middle of one of her tantrums, because her tantrum is based, and we're basing with each other, are responses by the energies that are being sprayed on us. So if if mom is spraying hostility on daughter and daughter is spraying hostility on mom, both respond with more hostility. It's just kind of like that downwards. Mm -hmm. But when I interrupt the cycle, when I interrupt the pattern by canceling the goal and collapsing into the part of my mind that holds my pain and bringing love present, then I start to spray love on my daughter. It's not going to be very long before that whole circumstance just turns around. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Worksheets. Uh, go to the website. Go to whyagain.org, upper left-hand corner. Start here. Second link gives you the worksheet. Third link gives you radio show based on the worksheets. Start canceling goals and see what happens. We hold the space. Thank you. I accept and receive. Thank you very much. All right. Delighted. Thanks for the question. And we're down to the last few seconds, so we'll just say that uh, if anybody's ready for an intensive experience, ready to take everything to the next level, we'll be starting on August the 1st with a 10-day Food Fund Forgiveness and Work Program. Then we'll go to a nine-day Why Is This Happening to Me Again, a three-day training course on the personal code evaluation, and a 16-day Laws of Living. We still haven't uh, completed our, our final email uh, newsletter, so the, uh, the special of free 15 DVDs is still hanging out there until we get that out and get an expiration date. We've been still having some challenges with our database and email system but uh, when we uh, do that. But uh, until then, uh, there will be a free set of 15 DVDs, normally sell for $600, uh, that go with registration for intensive. So if you're ready for that, give us a shout. Let us know. We look forward to seeing you in August or September. Blessings. We've got to do eternal life. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and myself, Jeannie Rice, as we present the Internal Aramaic Process of Forgiveness. 
We are here every Monday through Friday from 1 to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael, myself, or Aramaic Forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org. Thank you.